Can we now turn to the Old Testament <coughs> and to the book of Judges? The book of Judges and chapter 16. <coughs> We shall take up the reading at verse 15, the betrayal of Samson. Verse 15, And she said unto him, How canst thou say I love thee, when thine heart is not with me? Thou hast mocked me these three times, and hast not told me, wherein thy great strength Lieth. And it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death, that he told her all his heart and said unto her, There hath not come a razor upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me. And I shall become weak and be like any other man. And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once, for he hath showed me all his heart. And the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and brought money in, in their hand. She made him sleep upon her knees, and she called for a man, and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to afflict him, and his strength went from him. And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass and he did grind in the prison house. Howbeit the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. Then the lords of the Philistines gathered them together for to offer a great sacrifice and to dig in their gourd. And to rejoice, for they said, Our God hath delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hand. <clears throat> and when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God hath delivered into our hands our enemy, and the destroyer of our country, which slew many of us. And it came to pass, when their hearts were merry, that they said, Call for Samson that he may make us sport. And they called for Samson out of the prison house, and he made them sport. And they set him between the pillars. And Samson said unto the lad that held him by the hand, Suffer me, that I may feel the pillars whereon the house standeth, that I may lean upon them. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there. And there were upon the roof about three thousand men and women that beheld while Samson made sport. 
And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee. And strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood, and on which it was borne up, of the one on his right hand and of the other on it with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might. And the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were therein. <coughs> so the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. Then his brethren and all the house of his father came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaroth. In the burying place of Manoah his father, and he judged Israel twenty years. Amen. May the Lord bless that further reading from his word. Now, if the Lord will help us this evening, we shall look at verses 21, from verse 21 onward to the end of this chapter. This chapter 16 uh, highlights for us the sad decline of Samson. Samson knew what he was. Isn't it interesting the description that he gives to Delilah? He was a Nazarite. He was someone who belonged to God. He wasn't his own person. He had no right to live as he pleased. He was in covenant with God. He says that, doesn't he? There, to Delilah in verse 17. For I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. Oh, the blessing that were bestowed upon Samson even before he was born from my mother's womb. And yet we read here the sad decline of Samson. Doesn't it fill us with sorrow to read these things? It is a grief and so it is for any Christian who is in sad decline. And any church, for that matter, that is in sad decline, it should fill the Lord's people with great sorrow. Not only great sorrow, it should be like a a warning to us not to presume on the goodness of God. Not to presume that we can do as we please. If you are Christ tonight, you too are in covenant with him. A 
and he expects you to live up to that covenant. And yet we see the righteousness of God shine forth in the midst of this sad decline. God is righteous in all his ways, is he not? Indeed he is. We see that righteousness of God in mercy, mercy, in the midst of the chastisement that was brought upon Samson. Now, often we might uh, get this idea that the Lord chastises his own people so as to make them more useful in this world. Now that sometimes may be the case, but it's not always. Samson's life was brought to an end. The chastisement of the Lord is there for the Lord's people to improve the state of their hearts. To improve the state of their hearts. Whether they live to show others that improvement or not. And this is one of these great lessons that comes out from this passage. It's inward where the change needs to be most. Inward, in the soul, in the heart. For if it is not inside, it will not show on the outside. I want us then this evening, if the Lord will help us for a few moments, to consider the righteousness of God. God is righteous. You know, this is one of the great temptations that we can easily fall into. Whether we see decline in the church, whether we see it in ourselves, God is righteous in all his ways. Three thoughts this evening then as the Lord will help us and as we go along we shall seek to apply them to ourselves. The first is this, the righteous God chastens the righteous. The righteous God chastens the righteous. Then secondly we see the righteous God destroys the wicked. He destroys them. And then thirdly, we shall see the righteous ones eternal triumph. The righteous ones eternal triumph. These three thoughts then this evening as the Lord <coughs> will help us. Now you may say, well, why choose this part of Samson's life to consider? Well, I have no reason to give to you, but that I believe the Lord would have me preach it to you. First of all then, the righteous God chastens the righteous. God will not let his people 
dally in sin. Not for long. He may well let them dally in sin and go down and decline, but he will not do so everlastingly. We see the chastening of the Lord here upon Samson. First of all, we see that Samson is bound. Didn't Samson pretend that there was nothing could bind him? We find him there telling Delilah about all these different things that if he was bound with, he knew fine these things couldn't bound him. These things couldn't bind him. Those new ropes, those green withers and all these things. Pride lay at the heart of that. Pride. Oh, it's such a sin. Such a sin. And it's so easy for us to imagine that nothing will bind us. Nothing. Samson was bound. He was. What bound Samson? You know, that's a good question for you to ask yourself tonight. What made Samson to be bound by the Philistines? Was it the Philistines? Perhaps you think, well, it was his own mouth. Well, we have it in verse 21. The Lord was departed from him. Now that doesn't mean to say that the Lord departed from him eternally. Because Samson is mentioned in Hebrews as one of the heroes of the faith. The Lord departed from him. And Samson became as weak any other man. The hair getting cut was just a sign of it. It was an outward manifestation of what was happening on the inside. Pride. The sin of pride will be chastened by the Lord. That sin of pride as it is found in his people. It will be chastened. And then we see not only was there perhaps a sin that wasn't seen, the sin of pride, there was the sin of the lust of the eyes. And we see that his eyes were put out. What a mercy from God. These eyes that had led Samson into all sorts of sin were taken away. Now, we'll come to the wicked in a moment because they were the instrument that the Lord used. And that in itself should uh, make us consider. 
His eyes were put out. He wasted his eyes. Wasted them. The lust of the flesh. Are you wasting your eyes? Now don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying you're necessarily falling in to the wastefulness at Samson in the same way as Samson. But have you set your heart on the things of this world? Is it the things of pleasure that have become so important to you? Is it what other people think of you? Do you have to keep up appearances? Is that the main thing? The pleasures of this world. Oh, let us not run away in imagining that the ungodly and uh, the wicked are not happy in their pleasures. You know, sometimes you'll uh, hear that said, perhaps, uh, by Christians. They'll say, oh, well, the sinner outside Christ is miserable. Well, certainly, uh, these uh, Philistines showed little sign of being miserable when they had Samson bound and when they were mocking him. <coughs> and that's not the only part in Scripture that teaches us these things. Yes, his eyes were taken away because he wasted. He wasted it, fixing it on the world and the things of time of the Nazarite. And then there was the humbling of Samson in this righteous prison house. He was grinding away in the prison house. We don't like to think of this, do we? We don't like to think that God would bring his people down to such an extent. We like to think that somehow Samson would be spared that, but no. Even the Philistines um, make reference to the fact that Samson had the upper hand over them. We see that there in verse 24, the destroyer of our country, which slew many of us. How true that was. And here he is, a servant of the Philistines bound by the Philistines, unable to see, grinding away. The Lord is righteous in his chastenings to his people. <coughs> and one of the fruit of being exercised by the chastenings of the Lord is to come to that point. Because very often, when the Lord's chastenings are upon us, we fall into the sin of self-pity. Why me? Or why now? Let us hold on to this great truth. The Lord is righteous in all his ways. Are we not told in First Peter 
judgment must begin at the house of God. It must. The righteous God chastens the righteous. Are you under the chastening hand of the Lord? Well, you know this, friend. If you're a believer, I expect it to be so. I expect it to be so. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Whom he loveth. And that is our great comfort, isn't it? And as we read in Hebrews, that that chastening is not <coughs> pleasant. Not pleasant for the present. Yet, in those that are exercised by it, it brings forth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Let us move on, secondly, for our time is moving on. The righteous God destroys the wicked. Now, the Lord has no delight in the death of the wicked. And if you are here tonight without Christ, without hope, and without God in this world, the Lord will have no delight in your destruction. And you are called by the gospel that is to call all men to come to Christ, confessing your sin that you might be saved from the wrath to come. Yes, God has no delight in the death of the wicked. And yet he destroys the wicked. He destroys them, first of all, when they are still alive. Isn't this what we read about these Philistines? In their lifetime they are destroyed. They are given over to idolatry. They believe in another God. They believe in another God. Or, we know that idolatry not only is the worship of a false God, it is the false worship of the true God. They're given over to it. Verse 24 here we read, Our God hath delivered into our hands our enemy and the destroyer of our country, which slew many of us. Was that true? Where was their God when Samson was destroying them? He wasn't much use then, was he? Ah, but you see, idolatry. This sin that men and women, boys and girls, are given over to. It is what they love. You know, we make this great mistake if we imagine that all you need to do is teach sinners the truth. All you need to do is teach them. 
No, that love of sin needs to be broken. We can't do it. We can't do it in ourselves, can we? It's the work of God. The stupidity that they were given over to. Their idol had had been absolutely useless on the battlefield. Absolutely useless against Samson. Now they're worshipping it. Yes, the wicked are given over to idolatry. And they're also given over to acts of evil. It was an evil thing to put out Samson's eyes. It was an evil thing. And to mock him. We've warned about that, aren't we, in Psalm 1. Not to be mocking. Not to be scorning. An evil thing. But they were given over to it. Given over to it in their lifetime. Given over to rejoicing in this world. It's a judgment of God. On the wicked. It's a fearful thing to see. Sinners given over to their sin. It's a fearful thing. Fearful. Ah, but you see, the destruction of the wicked is not just in life. They may go on, you see, they may go on living according to their own pleasure, utterly unaware that the Lord is destroying them. Utterly unaware of it. Because the moment of death, that destruction is instant. Instant. What a sudden departure all these thousands of people had. A sudden departure into hell. Proverbs 29 verse 1. He that is often reproved and hardeneth his neck shall be cut off suddenly. And then there's these words that should make our make send a shiver down our back without remedy. Without remedy. The sinner is cast into hell without remedy. Oh, the mercy of God. You're given over. Are you here tonight? And you're given over to a life of pleasure. Living life to please yourself. Maybe even worshipping God your own way rather than the way he would be worshipped. Oh, friend, do you not see the danger you are in? The danger you are in. The danger of eternal fire. But then, thirdly, we notice this, the righteous one's eternal triumph. How many sermons have you heard on Samson? 
that uh, dwell upon Samson's likeness to Christ, that he was a type of Christ. Well, where is Samson typical of Christ in this passage? Now, we must remember all types are just that. They're types. They're not perfect. doesn't mean to say that every aspect of Samson's life was typical of Christ. Certainly not. But here we see the righteous one's eternal triumph. Where is he? Well, he is found here with these two pillars. He is typical of Christ. As Samson destroyed these two pillars, so Christ has destroyed the twin pillars that hold sinners in their grasp. Death and the grave. On this very day, this Lord's Day, every Lord's Day, we are reminded of the resurrection. And here is the eternal ones, the righteous ones, eternal triumph. The resurrection of Christ. He has destroyed these two How did he do it? By, by, by his command, as we were looking this morning? No. Just like Samson, he took them in his hand. He gave himself unto death. He gave himself unto death. Death had no claim on him. Every one of us, death has a claim on However old or young we are here, death has that claim. And it will have its claim unless the Lord return first. But on Christ it had no claim. He had to put his hand on it, so to speak. Like Samson had to have his hands on the two pillars. So Christ has had his hands on these two great pillars, death and the grave. You know, there are many wicked people who imagine that death and the grave will somehow enable them to escape the wrath of God. Isn't that the whole pretext of evolution. Death is the end. There's no judgment. How many are hanging their hopes on that? Ah, but you see, here is Samson as a, a shadow or a poor, very poor type of Christ with these two pillars. And they are utterly destroyed. They are utterly destroyed. Isn't that what we read in 1 Corinthians 15? Oh, death, where is thy sting? 
Oh, great. Where is thy These two pillars are broken in pieces. Never again shall they be pillars in the lives of his people. Never again shall they be that which seems so insurmountable. Never again Christ has broken them. Yea, he has destroyed them by his resurrection. <coughs> and on this resurrection day, this Lord's day, not the resurrection day that the world likes to keep, but this day, the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's day, let us remember that. Let us remember it is a righteous God who has destroyed these two pillars for his people. Is that true of you? Is that true of you tonight? <coughs> Are death and the grave destroyed for you? By your own strength? No, by the true Nazareth, Jesus Christ our Lord. And because of the righteousness of God, that cannot change. It can't change. Because God is righteous. Not because we are. But because God is righteous. And he is righteous in all things. He is righteous in his chastenings. Upon his own people. He is righteous. In destroying the wicked. And he is righteous in Christ's work of destroying death and the grave. And that is our hope tonight. Is that your hope? That you have a righteous God? What hope? Let us not be bound then by these pillars anymore. Let us not stand between them. Let us remember in Christ they don't exist. What a hope. And on this day of all days, the first day of the week, every week, let us not be ashamed to proclaim the resurrection of Christ. For in that resurrection, these pillars have been destroyed. Well, may the Lord be pleased to bless his word to us this evening. Let us pray. <coughs> o gracious God, we thank thee that thou art righteous. And we can say with the prophet of old, Righteous art thou, O Lord, in all thy works. And we thank thee for that righteous work of Christ, destroying death in the grave, so that it has no sting, 
and it has no victory over those who are thine own. Blessed be thy name that it is so. Oh, we pray that we would be enabled by faith to hold on to these things. And that we would declare thee as righteous in all thy dealings and not be ashamed to declare the righteousness of God. Bless thy word to us this <coughs> night, then we pray. Take away that which was said or done amiss. Bless that which may have been in accordance with thy mind and will. May it strive with us in the days that lie ahead in providence if we're spared to see them. And if not, gracious one, may we go between these pillars of death and the grave, looking unto Christ, the righteous one who has destroyed them forevermore. Part us with thy blessing as we sing our parting praise. May thine be all the glory, and oh, forgive our sins. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Well, let us now sing in conclusion to God's praise in Psalm 119. And at verse 81. Psalm 119 at verse 81. And we shall sing four stanzas to verse 86. My soul for thy salvation faints, yet I thy word believe. Mine eyes fail for thy word, I say, when wilt thou comfort give? For like a bottle I am become that in the smoke is set. I'm black and parched with grief, yet I, thy statute, not forget. These words, these four verses to God's praise. My soul for thy salvation
are the intimations. The prayer meeting this coming week will be here on Thursday at the usual time of 7.30 and will be taken by Derek Gillis. The services next Lord's Day at the usual times of 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. 6.30, sorry. I'm so used to doing the intimations in for three. Please forgive me. 6.30. 11 a.m. and 6.30. The preacher expected is the Reverend Gordon Mayer. The building fund collection for the month of April is due today. Now, here is advance notice of a combined congregational meeting and annual general meeting. A congregational meeting combined with the annual general meeting, business meeting, will take place on the 11th of May at 7.30. It would be very much appreciated if as many people as possible could attend this important meeting. Now, as usual, all these intimations are, of course, subject to the will of God. Let us close with a benediction. <coughs> the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion and fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.